Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Valerie Burton. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. A best-selling author and founder of the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute, CAPP, Valerie has served clients in over 40 states and 10 countries and written 13 books on personal development, including Successful Women Think Differently, What's Really Holding You Back, It's About Time, and her latest book, Let Go of the Guilt. I think you're going to love this episode. She shares something. It's just a simple word switch. Like you switch the word when to while, and you'll hear me. I I stop in the middle of the interview and I'm like, oh, that is so good. What she explains. Oh, it's so good. I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, a quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. Overthinking isn't a personality trait. It's the sneakiest, greediest form of fear. It steals time, creativity, and goals. It's the most expensive, least productive thing that individuals and companies invest in every year without even knowing. That's why I wrote my book, Soundtracks. In Soundtracks, I map out a proven plan to change your overthinking from a super problem into a superpower. The secret to beating overthinking will surprise you, but here's what I promise. Read Soundtracks and you'll learn how to DJ the soundtracks that define you and you'll be able to give your dreams more time and creativity. If you can worry, you can wonder. If you can doubt, you can dominate. If you can spin, you can soar. Order soundtracks from wherever you like to buy books or at soundtracksbook.com. That's soundtracksbook.com. All right, let's jump into my interview with Valerie Burton. All right, Valerie, I'm so glad you're joining me here today. We just barely missed each other at a big event recently in Nashville, but it's always fun when I get to talk to another author, another speaker somebody who's doing the things I'm doing and doing them at such an amazing level. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you again, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I want to jump right in and talk about your upbringing. You grew up in an Air Force family. You moved around a bunch, Florida, West Germany, Colorado. How do you think that background impacted the way you look at work, the way you look at the world, the way you look at performance? How did that inform your current Point. Oh, wow. Well, one, I loved growing up in an Air Force family, being in the military environment. It was, I can't really even explain how, how much fun it was in Florida. We lived on the Air Force base and we happened to live on the side of the street where the Gulf of Mexico was. So I used to watch dolphins jumping around from my swing set, but I had such a diverse group of friends because people come from all over. And of course, people serve in our military from all over places like Puerto Rico and the Philippines, uh, lots and lots of uh, of diversity, which really did influence me. And certainly moving to Germany at a young age, you know, I, I didn't know there was anything outside of my little circle, you know, in Florida. And so learning a new language, um, getting to visit so many other countries, and then moving to Colorado, which is where I consider myself to be from, I think it probably helped me to learn how to adapt very quickly how to engage with new people. And my dad in particular just really instilled in me that I could do 
anything. We always joked that he wanted a boy. So he he oftentimes had me doing things that maybe other girls uh, didn't do. And I didn't think it was unusual. Like when I got into the Air Force Academy and spent my first year of college there, you know, it didn't really hit me that it was so unique, even though only 10% of my classmates were uh, were female. So I, I think um, it, it just gave me an appreciation for people, for different cultures, and an appreciation for our our armed services. Um, my mother even retired from the Army Air Force Exchange Service, which, you know, does all the retail on all the U.S. Army and Air Force bases. So it was a big, just a huge part of my life uh, for a very long time. My dad retired after 24 years and still is with the Department of Defense. I don't know if he's, he keeps saying he's retiring. I don't know if that's actually <laughs> going that's to ever happen. happen. Yeah. So, what were some of the things he would say to you that did start to instill that idea? Were there family mantras? Were there, hey, don't forget, Valerie, you're capable of this? What, you know, what were some of the words mm-hmm. around maybe the dinner table or, or words like when maybe you got cut from a team or something good happened, bad happened? What were some of those things that undergirded that belief? Well, you know, one, I, I was fortunate enough to have a mom who, who, instilled a lot in me at a young age. She taught me to read and write. I was like three, which I I didn't realize until I have kids that that was unusual. They really taught me to look at people individually and to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think both my parents have a a bit of an optimistic streak that's actually made them more resilient. I wasn't allowed to make excuses. (laughs) So that was a huge thing. I wasn't allowed to be the victim. You know, sometimes you actually are, but my parents always approached it in terms of what are you able to do? What can you control? You can't control what everybody else does. What is your part? And my parents also were very realistic with me about racism. So they basically said, look, it's not a level playing field. It's not fair that it's that way, but that's how it is. So if you want to reach your goal, (laughs) what are you going to have to do? And like so many probably, you know, a large number of African-Americans that I know grew up being told, look, make sure you're twice as good, right? Make sure someone doesn't have a reason to not give you that opportunity. Now, that can lead to some overachieving, which I think I probably did some of, but it was more of coming from a standpoint that the world is not fair. What will you have to do in order to get to where you want to go. And so that doesn't mean you're not going to work to try to change things, but looking at your unique goals, what's going to be necessary? Do whatever that is and and keep pushing. And so that was a message from my parents, probably from my grandparents as well, um, that sticks with me to this day. It reminds me of Mark Miller was a guest on the podcast and one of his principals, and I think we both met him at the Chick-fil-A event probably. He says confront reality, like confront it and like figure out your plan. But there's no point in going, well, it's not fair. Or if it were better then I could, but it's that sense of, okay, I'm going to do this, which feels like probably started you on this journey that you're on right now with writing so many books. You've written 13 books. So how do you go from you're at the Air Force Academy. And I love that it didn't really hit you that, wow, 90% of the people here aren't like me. Like not, you know, like they're not even my gender, you know, like that you are so focused on doing your goals. But (laughs) how do you go from that to you've written 13 books, you're probably writing two right now, you've helped millions of people, you're a coach. What's the progression like? 
Well, um, a lot of it was working through my own challenges. You know, I went to the academy for a year, just about failed out. I was on academic probation. That was very humbling. I uh, lost a lot of academic confidence and and overcompensated for it, you know, finishing college in three years and then grad school in another 15 months. So there I was at 21, you know, having finished grad school and just starting to enjoy the journey. Um, so some of it was unraveling some of my own, maybe I would call it overachieving or overcompensating and saying, okay, no, that's all nice, you know, that you were the the youngest or you're doing things so fast. But more importantly, what are you here for? What is your purpose? Your purpose isn't racing through life, achieving. There is a way you are meant to impact the world for the better. What is it? So that was the first step on my journey. And a part of that step was even just accepting my failures. And rather than being embarrassed by them, when I realized my mission was inspiring people, especially women, to live more fulfilling lives, that I would do it through writing and speaking, I realized I would have to share a lot of my own story, even if parts of the story didn't feel flattering, because a part of my purpose was learning from it and being able to teach from what I was learning. So that was huge, even with the very first book, (laughs) things I didn't want to say. But I felt like if I don't say this, this won't be real and it won't be authentic and it won't help people the way that it could. And then I'm always on this learning journey. My goal is always to keep getting better as a writer. So people will ask, like, how do you keep coming up with topics? I'm like, well, it's my, first of all, it's my purpose. I've got, I've got so many things and I listen. I listen to what people are saying is getting in their way. And as a coach, you know, when you're coaching people over time, or even training coaches, as, as we do in my company, there's so many dilemmas and scenarios, and you start to see kind of a common thread. So I'm always looking for better ways to help people in a practical way. Like it's inspiring, but it's practical. I don't want you to read my stuff and go, oh, I feel so good. Oh, that yeah. sounded so great. I want you to do something different. So along that journey with my love of learning, I um, went back to grad school a second time and studied applied positive psychology. And so that's been a real basis for the coaching, for the coach training and the books since I finished that program, which is, gosh, 2008 uh, when I finished and realizing that there is so much research around what helps us to set goals that stick and to persevere towards those goals, to be resilient. All of that just lights me up and I love uh, teaching it. So I will say, though, it's not always like a (laughs) smooth journey. I struggle. Uh, I call myself a recovering procrastinator (laughs) because I am always recovering. (laughs) But what I've always decided, and this has never been something I wavered on, is that finishing what I start is not optional. Uh So I really believe that if you get clarity about why you're setting a goal, that it's rooted in your purpose, right? How people's lives are better when they cross paths with you and your values, like what's really important to you, that will fuel perseverance. That energizes you when things get hard because they will. You have to know why, why it's worth all the energy that it takes, all the the resources that it takes to reach a goal. When you know that why, even if for a little while you feel like you're giving up, there's something in you that won't let you stop until you get to that finish line. That keeps you going. And it's interesting you mentioned your other degree. Um, I just finished a book called Authentic Happiness. Um, Yes. 
that talked about psychologists write a hundred pages, a hundred you know papers on sadness for every one on positivity or happiness. So I've, but I do s- sense a shift towards you know seeing positivity, not just like oh it's rainbows. It's like when you see a puppy and you want to tickle it, like that. There's science behind positive psychology. What would you say surprises people? about the power of positive psychology and, and applying tactical positivity, not mushy, not, you know, you're amazing always, just believe <laughs> you're amazing. Like, what do you think surprises people when they get more on the scientific side, the, the things you learned getting a grad degree? So first of all, Authentic Happiness is the book that I read that made me say, ah, yes, there's science behind this by, by Dr. Martin Seligman. And that's how I ended up in the, in the program, uh, in the grad program for positive psychology at Penn. So what a great book that you're reading right now. I think for me, because I had written five books when I applied to that, uh, to grad school, I was excited because number one, I wasn't off base with what I was already writing about. <laughs> You're validated. That's, yeah. that's comforting. Yeah, it, it validated it, but I just, you know, it was something I felt that I knew, you know, some of it was rooted in my faith. Other parts of it were rooted in just my own experience personally and as, and coaching hundreds of people, right? But to see that it was backed up by science and then learning more about the science. My favorite bit of positive psychology research is like, it's a lot of different studies, but it all culminates in this idea that positive emotion is a success strategy, that it actually expands our ability to deal with adversity and with stress. It makes us more creative. It helps us make better decisions, helps us connect with people, have longer relationships, boosts our immune systems and helps us live longer. I mean, there's, it's like yeah. we tend to think happiness is just Ah, uh, it's optional. Oh, you know, life is more about more than just being happy, but positive emotion literally makes us stronger. And when you're setting goals, starting from that place of positivity can be very powerful. And this doesn't mean ignoring the negative. This isn't pretending that everything is good when it isn't, but it is searching for the good. It is noticing that even when things are bad, maybe they could be worse. Maybe there's the person that showed up for you. Maybe there's a past experience you have that's made you wiser in this circumstance. And maybe there's hope on the other side of whatever the difficulty is that you're going through. And that in itself makes you stronger. That in itself helps to pull you forward. If someone came to you and said, okay, Valerie, I'm starting to believe in the power of that. I'm I'm seeing the science. I've I agree with that. How do I practice positivity? And maybe they're maybe they'd say, you know what, I'm naturally melancholy, or I'm a sarcastic person. I always find the negative in every situation, or social media is a dumpster fire, and I always walk away feeling like the world is falling apart, even though like every metric things are better than, than they were a hundred years ago. Like, what would you say to them as a practical thing they could do to kind of practice positivity? So, number one, you're right. Like we naturally have different dispositions and some people are naturally geared towards the positive and some more negative. The good news is that's only about 50% of our happiness, the, the genetics of it, right? And so this is about you choosing differently. And that might mean you have to set up reminders, right? That might mean you have to coach yourself with questions like, 
what am I looking forward to today at the beginning of the day, right? Because a lot of times we take things for granted that maybe two, three years ago you wished you could look forward to. You know, you wished you had that that friend, that significant other, the job, the opportunity, <laughs> um, the kids, <laughs> right? Um, and now you're taking it for granted. Um, at the end of the day, looking back, you know, what was the best thing that happened? What was your what was your favorite moment of the day? Why did it matter? Even looking for the opportunity and a challenge, right? So what's the opportunity in this? How could I look at this differently? What could I do today that would bring me more joy? Yes, that takes work. And that is one of the misconceptions, one of the myths of happiness is that some people are just happy. And, you know, not only that, but they're they're lucky and just being happy and they're oblivious. They're probably just not as bright as everybody else because they don't see all the negatives going on. <laughs> ah, they're disconnected. They're out of touch. They're dumb. Yeah. That's such a crazy thing to, to assume. Yeah. As opposed to we actually can choose gratitude. We actually can choose a different attitude. I talk often, I've talked in a couple of my books about going through divorce and how I held my happiness hostage to my circumstances. I'll be happy when, when I finally meet the one, when I possibly could get married again, when I can be a mom, because that's part of my dream. I'll be happy when, and we all do that. I'll be happy when the kids are out of the house. I'll be happy when I get that promotion. I'll be happy when I make more money, when I get the house I want, when I get that nice car, when I lose weight, whatever it is for you. And we have to make a decision. I'll be happy while. I'll be happy while. Oh, that's so good. Come on. I'll be happy while I'm waiting for whatever it is you think has to show up to make you happy. And that was a choice I made because I, I really was holding it hostage in one day. I just said, how about be happy now? You don't have to be happy about what happens. You don't have to be happy about being divorced. But are you just going to be miserable until something changes? And what what if you don't get married again? What if you never have kids? Is the rest of your life doomed to you being miserable as you wait? And I thought to myself, now that would be a real waste of my time and a real waste of the gift of life that I have. And I just decided, you know what? I got a lot of friends that are married and they're jealous. Because I can eat Rice Krispies for dinner if I want. And I, 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 can, I can go to Paris on a whim if I want. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have all these very good things about my life right now. What if I enjoyed this season? And that changed everything for me. I love that switch from when to while. That's so powerful. And it's one of those little things that just two words can make such a huge difference. I, yeah. I absolutely I love that. What are some other myths that maybe you see when it comes, and it can, it can be performance, it can be goals, it can be dreams, your why, whatever, that you see maybe online, because there's a lot of this kind of chatter, um, but a lot of times you see it and you go, well, that's really not completely accurate. Like one of mine is, you know, just say your goals out loud and the universe conspires for you. And I always say like, the universe doesn't care about me. Like it's busy jamming boats in the Suez Canal. Like the universe isn't like, like when I put in work, like things start to happen and I have positive intentions, but are there any other positive kind of chatter that you see and go, well, that's actually not true or it's actually not helpful or that's a myth. Same, you know, that some people are happy and some people aren't. And that's just the way things are. That'd be another example. Yeah. I think that we think if we keep pushing ourselves, we'll get there. We beat ourselves up too much, somehow believing that I guess that's supposed to motivate us or it's going to force us to just keep going. But 
the research actually shows that self-compassion reduces our stress and is more likely to inspire and pull us forward. And so doing something as simple as when you're having a, a, a rough time or you just feel overwhelmed, just stop and go, this is hard. Like the research is just saying, just having enough compassion to say, this is hard right now. Like I've got a whole lot on my plate. Yeah, I, I forgot an appointment. I missed something. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I forgot my kid had X, Y, or Z and I didn't get them prepared. Mm-hmm. And you go, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I messed up and it's okay. Actually lowers your cortisol level. Mm-hmm. Actually helps you to kind of step outside of yourself because we're really bad at beating ourselves up. And you're looking at yourself like you were your best friend, right? Because when your best friend messes up, when somebody you cares about messes up, you don't go, you're such an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you always screw things up. We don't talk to them like yeah. that. If we do, we don't have them as a friend very long. Yeah. And yet we do it to ourselves. So that doesn't mean you're letting yourself off the hook. It means you are embracing the reality and letting yourself be human. And in doing that, you get a bit of a break, a bit of a rest that I think can be extremely um, powerful. So that was big for me, the the not beating myself up because um, I'm not sure what I thought I was accomplishing. I think often it's just the guilt and, and, you know, with guilt, we think we need punishment. And one of the ways we punish ourselves is being hard on ourselves, which actually doesn't motivate us at all. And even if we get to the finish line, there's not a lot of joy in that finish line when we do that. And we've I, used misery. We've used misery to motivate ourselves. Right. And then we feel bad. Well, I should have done this faster. Well, you know, I finally I finally reached the finish line, but gosh, I should have done that two years ago. And it's like, maybe you weren't meant to do it two years ago. You thought so. But maybe that that wasn't what the overall game plan was for you. So trusting that process, I think, is really powerful. It lets us relax a little bit. And, and versus saying, get your act together, come on, you know, you've got to do it. That that kind of negative self-talk, self-motivation. Yeah, you're try- I mean, trying- sometimes we do need that kind of a pep talk. But I'm, I'm talking about those times when we can just be mean to ourselves and we just feel guilty and we feel this sense of condemnation that we're just not doing enough. When in actuality, we're doing a whole lot and we're doing our best with what we have. Sometimes you need to drop some of the stuff from your to-do list. I always say you can, you do it, you can delay it, you can delegate it, or just plain delete it, right? And everything on your list, some, every once in a while, you need to look at the whole list and run it through that filter. Do it, get it done. You don't feel like doing it, quit procrastinating, get it done. Sometimes you just need to yep. talk to yourself that way. That's how I got my first book written, John. It was my third attempt at writing a book. Um, and... I realized one day, one of my friends asked about it. She was host of a morning show. I was living in Dallas at the time. And she asked me about the book I was writing because I was talking about it all the time. And so I told her I was working on it. And it was a lie. Like, I was thinking about it. Had I actually sat down at the computer and written something recently? No. Mm -hmm. And I got home and I said, you know, I'm really sick and tired of you telling people you're working on a book. You're not writing anything. So either start writing or just give up the goal altogether. Like, are you doing this or not? That was me and my frustration fueling a turnaround. And it was rooted in the fact that I knew I had a sense of purpose. But sometimes we're in those situations where there's not much more we really can do. And our expectations are so high that we're never going to live up to them. And so I think really getting clarity around your expectations. And sometimes, sometimes your expectations are too vague and you can never meet them. Like, 
I need to lose weight. That's pretty vague because you could lose some weight and still tell yourself it's not enough. I need to exercise more. How much is more? When do you get credit? (laughs) There's no end to more. We start start beating ourselves up because we haven't clearly defined when we have achieved what it is we've set out to do. Do you think we have a hard time admitting our expectations or voicing them? Like we've got secret expectations of size or speed Mm -hmm. and we, we don't know how to say them? Yes. So a lot of times those are others' expectations that we've internalized, right? So you should do X by this date. By this age, these things should happen. And maybe it's a tape you got. It could be from social media. It could be from a parent. It could be from what you see in your environment. And you haven't explicitly stated that that's your expectation. It's just kind of this vague, you know, kind of cultural or family expectation etc. And this is why it's so important to get clarity about what do you expect of yourself, right? Because if others' expectations don't line up with yours, you inevitably will keep failing. You'll keep feeling guilty about it and you'll keep beating yourself up as a result. Sometimes we need to reset those expectations because something just doesn't work for you. So, and I, I think this can be very common, like if you're a parent right? We look at how our parents parented and they might not have even put the expectation on us. I had that for myself. I would beat myself up when I traveled and my travel literally was overnight. I wasn't gone for long periods of time, but I had this expectation in my head that set me up as though I was a stay-at-home mom, which is a wonderful option if that's your calling. That's what my mom did when I was young, but it wasn't what I was doing. And I was clear that I was on the right path, that I was doing the right thing, and that I was actually a good mom. And I had to literally break it down. Like, what do you think you're doing wrong, (laughs) right? And when I started breaking it down, I realized that the things I was expecting of myself were actually not logical. My child was not in any sort of danger. My husband was home. Often my mom would come and spend the night. His two older sisters were there. He wasn't even missing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sometimes didn't notice. He, he was yeah. like, oh, great, grandmommy's here. Yeah. Like, what am I feeling guilty about? And so what that does is it just steals our joy in the things that we're meant to be doing. So I had to reset my expectations, and that made a humongous difference in being able to just let go of guilt. So it was a little self-coaching, yeah. little journaling that I did to really untangle what the thoughts were, because most of the time we don't stop to think about our thinking. Yeah, that, that's something I've, I've written a lot about. And I, I love to pull the thread on what's the thought behind the thought behind the thought. Um, so it's a situation like that. How often do you recommend people check in with their why? I think sometimes the mistake people make is they think they'll get one why for their next 50 years. It'll be your vision quest. It'll always, like you'll set it in motion once and then you'll just march off into the wilderness. But how often are you, and maybe it's your life, is the, is the question, is it quarterly you're checking back in going, am I still on track? Or is this still my, do I need to tweak my why a little bit? Is something changed? Like what, you know, what am I really working on? How often do you encourage the people you coach to kind of stay connected to that why versus the expectation you find it once and then you, and then you don't ever need to touch it again? I think you should stay connected with it every day. I can see mine right here on my wall. I actually had a graphic designer write out my mission statement and I look at it and I remind myself of it. Um, My vision board is framed. I keep it in my closet. (laughs) I just (laughs) glance at it. It's not like I sit and stare for 10 minutes, but I just kind of glance at it as a way of, of checking in. I do believe though, 
that while we have an overall purpose, that we have unique assignments that connect with that purpose. And so the purpose might show up differently or look different in different seasons. So for example, you know, my mission around inspiring others to live more fulfilling lives. uh, There was a, a period years ago when my mother had had a massive brain aneurysm and lost all her physical abilities. And I, you know, I kind of came off the platform. I wasn't speaking so much. I had moved home with, to help take care of her and my brother, who was eight at the time. And I realized right now it's inspiring this one woman, <laughs> uh, right? That's my assignment right now. I'm, I'm still living in my purpose, but I always say, you know, looking back years from now, what will you wish you had done? Uh, and there's no question <laughs> that in those key pivotal moments in life, your purpose is still alive, but it might look different. And, you know, she was 49 at the time. And so she was regaining the ability to talk, walk, speak, see, I mean, it was everything. So that was my, that was my mission right then, right? Helping her, inspiring her. And that was a good thing that I would never regret. But if I had stayed focused, that the mission has to be about all these other people and being on a stage talking, my goodness, I would have missed something so profoundly important, the recovery of my mom. <laughs> so, you know, check in and say, okay, so how does it apply right now? What's my assignment right now? Sometimes there are people, there are groups, sometimes it's it's moving. Your assignment isn't a job specifically. It's it's how people's lives are better because you're in that job, because you are so-and-so's parent, because you live in this community. Um, so there are a lot of different ways that the mission applies. Well, I, I love that idea because often I see people that will not give themselves an updated scorecard. So for instance, if you had the scorecard that Valerie's mission is, Valerie's assignment is to be on stage 50 stages a year, and then you take a quarter to go inspire your mom. If you measured that season against the 50 stages a year, you're failing on every metric. But if you say new season, new scorecard, okay, my scorecard is I'm here to inspire my mom. I'm here to help her learn how to walk, whatever. You give yourself a new scorecard, it completely changes how that season works. And so few people change, change their scorecards. And it changes your joy in the journey. The, the anxiety can go away that somehow you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're right square in the center of your purpose. Um, so we have to be flexible. I think that's extremely uh, important. You know, I say that success is a harmony of purpose, resilience, and joy. So knowing that you're in your purpose, but inevitably things don't go as planned. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so are you able to be flexible and resilient? And are you able to find your joy in the midst of, of that? It really is about how you go about that journey. And, you know, joy every single day isn't always easy, but resilience isn't about whether you fall. It's about whether you get back up. And that second time, that third time, that fourth time. I I loved that when I was researching for this interview, one of your books, um, Successful Women Think Differently, Nine Habits to Make You Happier, Healthier, and More Resilient, sold more than 250,000 copies, which is a ton of books. That is an obscene amount of books. It's probably sold even more than the last time they, they published that. What was one of the habits that surprised people the most? So there's nine mm-hmm. habits. You've yeah. talked about them for years. A quarter million people at the minimum have experienced the book. What's the habit that that caught some women off guard? 
You know, they're all that way, John. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, John. That That's like when you ask your kid, what was your favorite part of the amusement park? And they say everything. And you're like, oh, that's a great answer. Yeah, I would say that the habit that is uh, around this idea of the paradox of choice, which is rooted in some research from Dr. Barry Schwartz. And it's this idea that we tend to think that more choice is always good. And that's not true. And I think that's especially in the United States. We're all about choices, choices, choices. But there's a point at which there's too much choice and it crushes us. We literally become paralyzed because we have too much choices. So we don't even make a choice. Or when we make our choices, we look back with a lot of regret. And so many of us don't realize how many choices we have today how much technology has changed the number of choices we have, how much time we then end up wasting because of that. So I talk in that chapter about becoming something called a satisficer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So maximizers are people that are always looking for the elusive, perfect choice. And because of that, even when they find a choice that is good enough, that meets all their criteria, they'll pass it up. Because they always think there's something more, there's something better. Um, They end up wasting a lot of time, sometimes missing out on opportunities uh, as a result. Satisficers go, okay, whether you are choosing what you're going to have for lunch, right? You know, the people that can never make the choice, like the waiter keeps coming back and they're like, what about this? What's this like, right? Mm -hmm. Satisficers go, okay, here's my minimum criteria. And it might not be a low criteria, it might be high. But when they get to that, they, they go for it. They're done. Whether they are looking for a home or a job or a new TV, <laughs> this actually causes them to be able to see very clearly what is worth spending a lot of time mulling over, right? And what can I just kind of go, all right, that was good enough. Even when you go to the grocery store, At this point, on average, you go to the cereal aisle, there's like 200 and something choices between the flavor, the brand, the size, whether it's the new and improved, what flavor it is. Uh And so this happens in those trivial ways, but it's also happened in relationships, right? It's happened in careers. If you think about, say, our parents' generation, or let alone our grandparents, you know, you probably married somebody in town, Uh (laughs) And it was highly unlikely that people were leaving town and moving thousands of miles away for a job because that just wasn't as simple of an endeavor. But today you could go online and date somebody that's literally across the ocean because you can connect with that many people. So you begin thinking about what does that look like when you're making a choice, for example, of a partner and you feel like, well, you know, I didn't try this out. I didn't try that. I didn't go there. I didn't go to this online platform. So the paradox of choice is one of the big ones. Uh, Successful people in general think differently, right? In the face of challenges, in the face of opportunity. But one of the ways they think differently is they understand what they can automate, what they don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about. And then those choices that really matter, that's where they put their time. I think today... Mm -hmm we end up relentlessly scrolling. And when we think about the the mass distraction of so much that's available to us from a digital perspective, we end up spending a lot of time and wasting a lot of time making decisions and choices that really don't have a whole lot of consequence. 
what would you say is a way you've kind of eliminated some of those choices? So maybe, maybe it's something you do during your day where you're like, you know what, John, I don't spend time doing this anymore. Or I always make sure I focus on this. Like for me, I'm realizing if I can spend X amount of time writing and then X amount of time getting those ideas out into the world, I fulfilled my purpose. I can mm-hmm. fill my day with meetings if I'm trying to procrastinate and avoid writing. Or I can admit I'm the CEO of this company. There's no one to blame but me. So if I don't block off the morning or write, that's on me. I'm grumpier the rest of the day. I don't get as much done, whatever. But as you look at kind of the way your life is structured, it could be, you know what, John, every week I try to do this or I get up at this certain time. What are some of those things that you've put into your own life that have allowed you to be as productive as you are, as connected to your, your why as you are, as available as a, as a mom and a spouse and a leader? What, what have you put into your own life? So one of the things is delegating more. <laughs> um, and when I say delegating, I mean, letting people, even in my family, just do it the way they're going to do it, right? The, the towels don't have to be folded my way. I mean, it's not that serious, right? Yes, yeah. the kids might not do it perfectly, but how much time are we going to save? And how much confidence do they gain because I trust that they'll find a way to do it well and it doesn't have to be perfect. That's really huge. And then within my business, letting go of a lot of tasks and asking the question, what is it that only I can do? Because if it's not something that only I can do, I don't need to be doing it. And that doesn't mean I don't feel a tug or a pull to chime in on all sorts of things that might relate to marketing or how we're managing a coach training event or whatever, but I have really practiced not. And what has happened is things haven't fallen apart. (laughs) The world didn't explode. The the planet didn't break in half. It didn't come to an end, (laughs) right? Sometimes on the front, and especially from a family perspective, it is saying, okay, what what are the rules? How are we going to work this out? And so it requires an extra bit of communication and sometimes some conversation and then and then sticking with it, right? Uh, so a lot of times we go back and forth on what the rules are. And especially if you have kids, that can be dangerous. So they go, oh, she's flexible on that. I don't yeah. have to do this every day, right? Mm-hmm. So it does require a, a bit of discipline on our part. But again, getting clear about what really matters. What really is a priority and what isn't? And, and knowing what those minimum standards are is extremely important. And so sometimes that's letting go of some things, right? Maybe you're too rigid about some things, but there may be some things that people would accuse you of being rigid about that aren't about you being rigid. Maybe it's some, a lesson that you're trying to teach or a, a habit you're trying to develop in your, in your kid, your teenager, whatever. And those things... Those things are rooted in your values and you stick with them. But for me, it's been a lot of, and again, some people will go, well, I don't have anyone to delegate to. You have more people to delegate to than you think. Think about the things that you're insisting on. You might be volunteering on a project. And so you're over-responsible. And a lot of people are over-responsible. They do things that they don't have to do, either out of fear that it won't be done the way they want or out of fear that somebody else won't step up and they, won't, they don't want to deal with what will happen if the other person doesn't step up. But actually, that could be a gift. Because if something falls apart because somebody didn't step up, now we have something to talk about. Now we have something that we need to resolve. 
because you're not going to keep doing it because you don't need to because you're not actually responsible for it. So a lot of times we just need to, as you just said, the thought behind the thought behind the thought. When you sit down and you take that time, and this is something I do every day, John, which is just having some quiet time, some time to reflect on what's coming up, what is it I want to see happen this week, this month, this year, and having that time to actually get quiet. This is when the stuff comes up. You go, you know, I don't have to be doing that. Or, you know what, maybe I could let that go. Maybe I'm being a little too, you know, too hands-on with things. Um, if you don't have that quiet time, you're not going to see the areas where you could let go a bit. That that makes complete sense. Um, I for, With my team, there's a couple of projects I've had to say, don't show it to me again, or don't even show it to me ever, because I'll rewrite it, because I like exactly. to write. <laughs> and if you show it to me, it doesn't matter if it's some manual about how to fill out a form. I'll be like, I could really get into that form filling out copy. And, and like, <laughs> they're like, you need to write books, not get exactly. into like, not manuals. <laughs> not manuals or how to unsubscribe from an email list. What's the best language? Like, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm good at. <laughs> so last two questions. Um, one, what would you put on your Mount Rushmore of self-help, nonfiction, kind of your genre books? Like other than books you've written, what are the four that if you said, you know what, these are the four, you mentioned authentic happiness was really good. Um, oh. <laughs> and the other way to say it is, is there, you know, what book have you given away more than your own? Like, is there a book that like, oh, yes. I always have my team read this or, you know. So believe it or not, um, Authentic Happiness is actually at the top. We have Perfect. given away a couple thousand copies of the book uh, in our coach training program because it's just a great primer in positive psychology. And there's one other of his that's actually my favorite of Marty Seligman's books, which is uh, Learned happiness, learn, not learned happiness, learned optimism, which is for those who are like, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know about this being optimistic thing, which you kind of mentioned earlier, um, is a really great one. Gosh, there's so many books I absolutely love. Um, another one that's helped me a great deal is The Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell. I love his books, but that one really helped me see how to progress um, in my own leadership. Um, there's another book that just came out in the last year or so that I think is great for business owners and those who are aspiring to just higher levels financially, um, uh, which is called uh, We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Really good, insightful book, and it's spot on. I think it's really good. That's a great title. That's a great title. (laughs) Title books. You know how hard it is to title a book. That's a great title. Yes. So that's one that I have recommended and have given away. I, there are so many, I'm one of those people that I've just got, I can tell you where I was in my life and my growth by what I was reading at that time. I love books. I've been like that since I was a kid. And so it's no wonder I've written 13 and I'm sure I got at least that many more. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't doubt that for a second. I don't doubt that. And then last question, where can folks find out more about you? So your books, your coaching, all the stuff, where, where would you like people to go? Yeah. Go to ValerieBurton.com. That's just going to take you to everything. Even some courses I have that are free. You'll love like how to coach yourself uh, is one of them. I've got one on five stages of your success path. So as you're moving along, How do you coach yourself to each level until you get to that vision? And then, of course, if you've ever thought about uh, coaching at all, um, we not only do a coach training intensive, but we've got an ICF approved uh, coaching certification 
program. So if you go to ValerieBurton.com, it'll link you over to CapInstitute.com, which is our uh, coach training. And there's some really great free resources there too, if you're thinking about coaching. Perfect. Perfect. Well, this was a blast for me. We've got a bunch of mutual friends. I know we're going to pass each other in green rooms and events. Yes. <laughs> um, and if you're looking for a really fantastic speaker, I highly recommend um, Valerie. It's always fun when I get to share the stage with you. Um, and, Absolutely. And you know how speaking is often they'll say, hey, who would you recommend? Because we're going to bring you back in three years. But between now and then... Then you got to have somebody... You got to have some people on the short list. Um, so it's fun. It's fun to see you out there crushing it. Um, you casually said so many amazing things. Like that's when I went and got my other degree at Penn. And you're like, oh, okay, like that's not a small sentence. Like that's a pretty <laughs> big sentence. Like, you know, like that's an amazing accomplishment. So same with, same with the, you know, 13 books. So it's really fun for me on the outside to watch you do what you do. I think you inspire it. John, thank you. And thanks for what you do and bringing so much positivity into the world and and especially for entrepreneurs and business people. We need it. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, Valerie, thank you for doing this. I can't wait to have you on again in the future when you've got a new book out because I know you will. (laughs) I can't wait either. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Valerie. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Valerie Burton today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. As I've said again, again, and again, and again, and again, Podcasts are weird because they can feel like a vacuum. Unless you're touring live with them, you don't get a lot of feedback. And the reviews are the chance for you to give me some feedback, which is so helpful to me. So awesome to know what's working, what you guys like. I really, really, really appreciate you guys writing reviews. So thank you for taking the time to do those. Please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. Last but not least, don't forget, you can get a copy of my new book, Soundtracks, Anywhere books are sold or soundtracksbook.com. You can read the first chapter for free. That's always nice, a free first chapter. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.